This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks so much for joining our conversation today. We're here at the end of our Go Home series. Each of these conversations that we've had over the past two months, really, have looked at common assumptions about the home and its proper place in the life of both men and women and in relation to the church and the world. And we've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about what constitutes the home, the people in the home, the purpose of the home, and more. And now... Here we are, Hannah, in our wrap-up session titled, Finally Home, and it could not be more fittingly named, don't you think? Absolutely. In part, because we're at the end, so Mm -hmm. but ironically enough, most of us are now actually at home. We are. We are recording this on March 18th, 2020, and I feel like I need to timestamp everything I do in this season because we are in the midst of self-imposed for some of us, um, self-isolating at home because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. These instructions for people to be home and to stay home, I, I feel like it is almost as if we knew what was coming, Hannah. We didn't. We are not prophets. but No, no we're not. <laughs> we are not. Just but... to make that clear for all of our <laughs> listeners. We are not prophets. But I, I really do think that now that supposedly people have more time, I've been seeing that people are, are trying to figure out how to use all their time. And I'm like, did your time multiply just because now you are at home? But supposedly people are looking for new ways to fill their days and their time. And If you haven't, listeners out there, if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of these uh, recordings that we've done on the Go Home series, this is perfect because everything that we talk about in the series is going to help you process your new life, which is now a little bit more homebound than it once was. I understand what you're saying about people suddenly having more time and you're asking, where did all that time come from? I think what's actually happening is people are having the external removed. So I think a lot of our family schedules, our personal schedules, even our home life was being dictated by other people's expectations or obligations, social obligations, work obligations, church obligations. And so suddenly when those kinds of external pressures are removed and we're at home, it feels like we have more time because nobody's telling us what to do with our time. All of those extra activities have been cleared off the calendar. And 
even though for Mike and me, those activities, those are things that we've committed to and chosen to do. We want to do them. Now that they are cleared off, it does feel like there is this new window of opportunity to do different things. Although my days are still looking pretty much the same because I work from home normally. Um, But in the evenings, there is a sense of like, wow, it's it's new, it's different. And especially as I'm looking ahead to the weekend, the idea that we really will not go anywhere. And that's unusual, that we may not even leave the house this weekend. That's very strange. It is strange, but I also think it's an opportunity. And I think we have to take it as such. There is this kind of communal solidarity where we are all accepting these impositions on our lives. We are hunkering down. We are staying at home. We're not going out. If we go out, it's only for emergencies or for mm-hmm. runs or for drive through something that is not social. And so we're in this moment that is unlike any moment any of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. And it could feel um, like things are being taken away from us. Mm-hmm. I have tried to enter into this moment to say, oh, This is an opportunity for me to reimagine and rearrange my life the way I want it to be. Mm -hmm. That feels like a gift in a way, because you do have this weekend, you do have this evening time, even if your days are full, either with working from home or in our case, our older two are schooling from home, Mm -hmm. Zoom calls, they're doing online classes. So in some respect, their schedule is continuing. But to me, it feels like this moment to say, okay, status quo is completely upended as it relates to our social lives. That can feel like a loss, but it's also an opportunity to come back to our guiding values, our core values and say, well, what do I actually want Mm -hmm. time? I've also appreciated the conversations that have come up about how is it that we can still serve um, our neighbors, our loved ones, even when we don't have the constructs that maybe we would have from our church, uh, where typically maybe your church may be setting up different ways for you to serve other people. Now those have to be disbanded because they're larger group settings and we aren't doing those right now. But how can we still have that heart of compassion and care and tending to people who have needs? And I have so appreciated seeing examples of that where people are sharing where they're going on to their next door app and and offering, if anyone needs anything, I'm running to the store, I'll drop it on your porch. We don't even have to um, see each other. We can just wave through the window. I've seen... um, people visiting each other through the window, just talking on their phones to each other, just anything to keep that connection going and to tend to people who might need a little bit more care right now. I I think it's lovely. And it really is heartening, especially in a time when it can be filled with anxiety. And the ironic thing about the way we're finding these new ways to connect and to support each other and to kind of focus on the common good is that we've had several forms removed. Like you said, it's not going to happen at the church gathering. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen in groups. And ironically enough, it's not going to happen in our homes. So we spent the last however many weeks talking about developing this vision of home 
this kind of culture within our spaces that is porous and welcome. Mm -hmm. And we immediately moved into season (laughs) where that's... (laughs) Yes, we did not think of that back when we recorded that that episode. I that conversation was so helpful to me. This idea of making sure that we are welcoming people in and that we are going out and now we have a completely different structure in that's been imposed upon us. So then what does that even look like? And in some ways it's more challenging because at least when we talked about that in the weeks past, it was the sense of like, oh, we're going to invite people over. We are going to be purposeful. We are going to go out and do certain things, things that we've already been accustomed to. And it made sense to us. It was familiar enough to us to do it. But now it's like, well, what what is this? What is this new way of reaching out where you may not actually see the person, but you can reach out in a way that shows people that you care. And it's still coming from the values that you hold dear in your home. Um, The whole thing of family on mission, I feel like that is so huge right now, this idea of who are we? If we're still stuck inside, but who are we? How do we still love and serve our neighbors, our loved ones, the greater community? Is that still possible in this time? And I think you used a word there that's key to understanding how you can continue to be a welcoming, hospitable family or home, even when people can't be in your house. And you used the word values. And I mm-hmm. one thing I think we tried to do through this whole series is to distinguish between what are the underlying principles, values, core beliefs about mm-hmm. our and our household versus What are the forms or the traditions or the practices that have for many years been allowed to be the thing, Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. take the place of true understanding of what our homes and our families are? And so I think separating those things, even though we talked about this kind of household welcome and this kind of bringing people into your space and being willing to go beyond your nuclear family, we talked about that in terms of practice of actually living with people or having guests into your home. But what we did underneath that was try to expand the definition of who you're responsible for. Right. Mm -hmm. Go beyond the nuclear family. And so when you have that value in place, when you begin to understand that your family exists in a broader network of community, that you can't hunker down and isolate with just you and yours. Mm -hmm. If you can't bring people physically into your home, what you've done is unlock one of those um, things that was stopping you from doing that in the first place, which Mm -hmm. this vision of the constellation of your family and home of who you're responsible to. And so, no, we're not supposed to be visiting in proximity as much as we may have in the past. But I hope we are entering this season with a vision for the common good that goes beyond our nuclear family. Mm -hmm. It has made me much more aware or concerned for certain friends and family members who I know are not able to do certain things, maybe because they have some health 
problems or health concerns that makes them more disposed to catching the the virus. And I'm worried about them because they're doing more self-isolating. So they're on my mind and on my heart a lot. So I feel like there are so many opportunities there between just First of all, praying for them, reaching out to them, making sure I'm doing some FaceTime calls so that they see another person. And uh, one friend of mine who is single and and we are just the dearest of friends, she's over at our house all the time and, and we kind of do life closely together. I We were joking and saying, okay, if we completely self-isolate for two weeks and we none of us show symptoms, then at least we could all get together so that mm-hmm. she would have another person so she could see us. And that's the sort of caring. It's like, okay, but who doesn't have anybody? And there have been so many reports about elderly and senior citizens where they are completely isolated and stuck and how that's so hard for them. How are we going to care for those who don't have an immediate family in their home? And this highlights it severely with the lockdowns or the self, you know, the chosen self-isolating that we are currently under. Right. It, it brings up in stark relief the question we were just talking about theoretically. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about, well, what about people who don't exist in a network of nuclear family? People who are unmarried, people who are widowed, people who, um, as you said, are elderly. And... It's so striking to me how this virus, I'm going to call it that, the virus. Yes. The virus. That's the shorthand I've given it, the virus. <laughs> how the virus has put a pressure point on all of the dysfunction in our society that we have accepted as normal. Yeah. It is yeah. not good or normal for people to be isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. But we've just accepted it and moved on because it hasn't been something pressing for us. Mm-hmm. And when the virus comes along, it's been amazing to watch all of our points of dysfunction suddenly highlighted. <laughs> yes. Oh. I, I think one of the points of dysfunction that it has come up over our conversations, and I think I had mentioned it in one of them, something that was um revealing to me and and convicting to me, but in a good way, was the pressure or the power that marketplace values have had on how I think and how I operate. And all of these discussions have helped me to think through where is my my kind of like my locus of control, who is controlling my decisions in terms of home and work and um, even how I operate day to day. And I could see so much in my choices that the marketplace was having that say. And I, I realized that we are embedded in a culture that prioritizes the economy's health above the people who contribute to it. And I have seen that come up in the news time and time again over the last few days because people are obviously very concerned about the economy. These are valid concerns. But we have had some local restaurant owners say, I cannot shut down my business. I don't care who gets sick. I cannot do this. And I realize that that 
feeling of desperation comes because we have said that the the way the structure is right now is the way it has to be. And there's no other option. And I, I want to rally around these people and say, okay, how can we work together? Like there are solutions here that will not put the entire society at risk. And I, I think that somehow we've prioritized the economy's health above the people who are contributing to it. And that's one of those dysfunctions that we really need to address. Absolutely. And it's been striking to me how quickly that is being addressed. Mm-hmm. So I've seen the same things where people are saying, I, I literally cannot stop working because mm-hmm. if I do, I will not be able to pay my bills. I have yeah. no margin. I have no ability to pay my rent. I have no ability yep. to put food on the table. And in the past, we were fine with that because yeah. we just assumed constant productivity. We had zero margin for any kind of thing to happen. So as long as you could live paycheck to paycheck, for us, that's legitimate. That's fine. You're okay. Mm -hmm. So we have this massive disruption of life and of the economy, and we have to deal with it. We have no choice. Like, we must shut these places down. And yet they also, the owners, cannot continue to live and do their work and take care of their families if we shut them down. And what's been amazing is within a week or 10 days, people who would be the most conservative are suddenly talking about universal basic income. Right. Yes, I've noticed that. (laughs) So suddenly the United States government is cutting checks. Right. right? I was so surprised by that. I was like, oh, who knew this was was coming? And I'm sure it's needed. But I kind of felt like for the amount of time they're saying that we will have these restrictions, it will help. I mean, great if the money is coming, but that money is coming from somewhere and there's not going to be enough for the amount of time. And so we got to get creative. This is what I think is like, yay for that extra money. But I, what I love is that I have seen so many people come up with creative solutions for their business to they're, they're doing a quick pivot in this time where they're realizing what we have isn't going to work, but short term, what can we do for the next eight weeks to still have some semblance of money coming in and serving the community in the same way? And especially I'm thinking of restaurants, how they are doing so much with curbside pickup or they've started delivery services. And And I think what's interesting here is that the same actions that were driving our market large scale are now needed in a smaller scale, on a a smaller scale. So it's almost like before it was like, how big can we go? And now it's like, oh, my goodness, we have to be local. How can we get you to pick up from across town? And what can we do right here to try to serve the people where it's going to be a new way of functioning, but at least we will function? I, I found that really encouraging and exciting to see what people are coming up with to solve this problem. I do think this is a moment of creativity and entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I'm excited to see um, potentially come out of this is as people are working from home, as some people are schooling from home, the home becomes the um, the place of productivity and mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. And the home becomes 
kind of the crucible where these other things are happening. And one of the things we talked about um, in this series, Go Home, was the fact that it had been excavated of a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. That, that the home had become a place of consumption and rest and retreat from the world. Right. That you would go out to restaurants, you would go out to eat, you would go out to school, go out to work. And there's this dramatic reversal where we are having to stay in and yet still continue the essential things, mm-hmm. still continue to eat, still continue to learn, still continue to work insofar as we can. And there is this shift in where the production is coming from in some ways in our society. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that's going to do long term, not just for the economy. I'm sure we'll get back to kind of a semblance of normal what we knew. Right. Yeah. But mentally and emotionally, are we going to begin to attach certain experiences with our homes? If Mm -hmm. we have to work from home, are we going to begin to attach productivity from our home? If we have to educate from home, are we going to begin to attach and identify learning from our home? And I just think that's a really dramatic and painful whiplash for our (laughs) society. Yes. But in the long run, I really am hopeful that it will help people correct in some ways. I've been reading up on the CDC website some of the guidelines for what employers should be doing with their employees, especially smaller companies. And a lot of these smaller companies are not prepared to have their workers work from home. They don't have, let's say that their their employees are not assigned the equipment. They don't have the laptops or they don't have the login features from offsite. And so the CDC is saying, if you have the means to have your employees work from home, we would urge that. So our largest employer here in Bloomington Normal, where I live, is State Farm Corporate. And there, I think, are maybe twelve to 15,000 people in the central Illinois area employed by State Farm headquarters. And they have implemented remote working for as many people as possible. So all of my friends who work there have been taking snapshots of, hey, here's my new, my new setup. I'm working from home. And they've got all their computer screens set up. And they're working from their home office now. And it's been interesting to hear them talk about working from home in the middle of life that is happening at home. Like you said, Hannah, you your kids are home. They're doing their schoolwork. Other people are there in and out. People are talking about their co-workers when it's like their pets. It's been so humorous, but it's a different feel and a different approach to work. And I wonder if, if in this season, if we are equally as productive or more productive or if the let's say employee satisfaction goes up because we have this change i wonder if some of these things could stick maybe there's something about working from home or being more centered out of the home that would actually lead to a healthier society and marketplace i wonder too if people won't be really really happy to go back to the office <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, this is just me. My kids are older. 
So I have a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, 10-year-old. And I can set them up to do their work. And we can take it in increments and say for 45 minutes, we're all going to go do our work. We'll come back together. Okay, take a five-minute break, 10-minute break. Here's your next class. And I can kind of trust my kids at this age to go do their work. Um, But if you had young children Mm -hmm. or um, you had children who didn't have schooling, Offered if they were just out of right. school and their district or their school wasn't offering structured learning, it would be a totally different process of trying to do the job that you typically did in an office at home. And I don't want to create this idealistic rose, you know, colored vision of working from home as something that's going to be really, really productive. It's not. You're going to be less productive. And you're going to be more frustrated in some ways. And I think that when I hope that people have this experience of creating and working and being productive from home, I don't mean that it will be without challenges and hurdles. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm hoping for is they'll be able to have this opportunity to evaluate, well, exactly how productive do I need to be? Because I think we may have some high expectations for productive levels. Um, and I think oh, those during need to this be time, Dur- yeah. during this time, as well. oh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I and, think and I've seen so much of that where people are saying you need to give yourself a little bit of grace here. We've, we've got a lot going on and you need to be a little bit more kind to yourself because there will be so many more dis- different types of disruption because there's disruption when you are in a workplace and in terms of task versus, let's say, um, people interruptions. And and that's tough. But you have the same sort of distractions, I think, at home. It's just a different kind. You're, you're kind of trading one thing for another. It is. But I also think it opens up a category for us to say, well, exactly how productive do we need to be across <laughs> yes. the board? Yep. And it also opens up a category for saying, you know what? I actually like the people I live with and I want to spend more time with them. (laughs) Yes. And I want to spend it with them in a different way. So just having the time to be together will also raise the question of how much time am I spending away from them? How Mm -hmm. should I be spending with them? How do we navigate? I need to do some work when you're not around. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that that does happen. (laughs) And I, I don't think there's going to be easy solutions, but I love that the questions will come up. Yeah. Status quo is upturned. We have the opportunity to interrogate our lives Mm -hmm. and really ask some probing questions about how we're living them. I think that this entire series has done that for me. And, um, what fortuitous timing here with um, our series ending and and now we are uh, having the call to be homebound and I I feel like this has been good timing for me and it's it's helped me to focus in a bit more on these ideas and incorporate them like you said to interrogate my life I I feel like that's what has happened with this series and I will continue to do that now that I 
I am a little bit more at home, even though I do work from home, I am a little bit more home than I was. So I hope that our listeners have had the same experience. And I do want to add this before we close out. You know, one of the things we talked about toward the end of the series is dealing with the brokenness mm-hmm. experience in home. And I've seen folks reminding us that even if your home is a good place to be for the next however many weeks mm-hmm. us to be home, <laughs> home is not necessarily a safe and good place for everyone. And if you, especially if you're a child, um, if you're in a vulnerable position and you're suddenly locked into place with people that are harmful to you, mm-hmm. this could be a time not of growth and expansion, but of just survival. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be cognizant of that even as I'm pacing through my own life, asking questions of my own life. I'm trying to remember that not everyone has a good home and a good family to be in. Mm-hmm. And as I pray for them and think of them in these ways and try to think in empathetic and sympathetic ways, I also recognize that that is a form of dysfunction that maybe we've overlooked again until a crisis put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. People exist in broken relationships. They exist in abusive family dynamics all the time. And we are so quick to not pay attention to that when it comes yeah. to us. But then if you raise the stakes and you say, are you okay with this child being in this abusive home for eight weeks? Mm. Suddenly you recognize that something you should have cared about before yeah. must care about now. Yeah, it's like come to the forefront and you have to address it. Yeah. Right. So even as we look at this kind of season to clarify our own values and our own choices, to to kind of put pressure on the points of social dysfunction and give us the opportunity to correct. I want to be very aware too, you know, as we spoke with Andy, that there are homes and families that are our neighbors in community, in our churches, that it is not okay. Yeah. And we have to do our best protect and to care for those who are caught in spaces that they're not safe in mm-hmm. isn't a place of flourishing for them. That's such a good reminder, Hannah, because it it is so easy to think through how can my home and my family be a place of flourishing. And it's easy to forget that if we are not also caring for people who are having this sort of difficulty we're all connected here. We're, we're all part of this society and we, we need to be mindful and, and caring and trying to help those people who are having home life difficulties. And it's very real and all of us go through stretches um, and we need to, to be mindful of that and care for each other in that way. So yeah, that's a good word. And I think the beauty of reestablishing 
core principles and these guiding values is that they don't just guide our own decisions. Mm-hmm. The standard by which to determine what is goodness, what is health, um, mm-hmm. what does dysfunction look like? And so as we and look at our own lives, that's one dynamic and one dimension of it. But if we are truly um, clarifying our principles and our values of what home is and why it's significant, it's also going to clarify our responsibilities to those who don't exist in healthy spaces or in healthy homes. And rather than judging them or holding up our own homes as normal mm-hmm. standard, I think commitment to these core principles and values are also going to drive us to understand why it's so essential that we as communities step into brokenness and not mm-hmm. overlook it when people are trapped. And that's one of the ironies. Um, again, not to go on a rabbit trail, but hey, it's our podcast. We can go down the trail. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. One of the painful ironies of the church's attention to domestica and the nuclear family and all of these commands to be at home is that they run parallel to overlooking abusive homes, to Mm. playing the dysfunction and the brokenness within marriages, um, downplaying and excusing and overlooking the brokenness of child abuse and childhood sexual abuse. And I I look at that contrast and I see this, this massive emphasis on home life and domestica and roles and, um, you know, really valuing, quote unquote, the family at the same time that we would be overlooking the very dysfunction within families. Mm. All I can gather from that contrast is that we truly did not have core values. Right. Did not have clear principles or a vision for what the home was for. Because if we did, we would have confronted the dysfunction very quickly. Right. With clarity, with certainty, and we would have rescued those who were caught in places that did not lead to their flourishing. There's something about that that picture of the home life, um, how it is painted in that um, kind of like everything that's embodied in that go home mandate. There's the picture of what the home is supposed to look like and what the nuclear family is supposed to look like. And it's almost as if we just want the picture, but we really don't care what it is looking like behind the scenes for real. And so I think that the holistic um, health and vitality of the home, the things that you were talking about, Hannah, with the value structure and making sure that people are operating um, along these these values of life and flourishing, I think that that is really the thing to focus on. But that's the harder call. Like it's way easier to say, have this facade, but to have these principles be embedded in your family and to really walk them out, that takes time. And usually it is messy. You've got to deal with some things that would be preventing um, all out flourishing of the home and of the family. So yeah, those things are um, not easy, 
questions and principles to apply. But I think um, with this entire series, all the things that we touched on, all the different angles, I think that it for at least for me, it brings a a bigger picture, um, a brighter picture for what it is that we're trying to accomplish in the home and with the family. Right. And I think um, that's one of the things we hoped for when we started this series. And I believe we've been able to is to offer a positive vision, to offer this vision of the home and family and what's possible and the potential good that can come from giving attention to our homes and asking these hard questions. And I am leaving this series more um, committed to what's Mm -hmm. happening in my family, more committed to my home, more committed to my home being a place of flourishing for other people and being open with our relationships and our caregiving and our desire to incorporate people into our lives, however we may be able to do that in the next. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I hope as listeners that you've felt that, that you've experienced that, that you have seen your own lives and your own homes and your own families for what they contain, the potential they contain, mm-hmm. the joy that they have to offer to the world and the goodness that can be brought forth Um, in these spaces that you've been entrusted with. And we just want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with these questions, to think through things, especially as you have opportunity in the next few weeks, as things are turned upside down. And as you do, we would love to hear what you're thinking. We would definitely to hear how you have been changed, not just through this series, Um, But even in these weeks where a lot of us are homebound. So as always, you can join us on Twitter at Persuasion CIPC, or you can join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. And you can become a member and gain access to that and books and other offerings for just $5 a month. We want to give a shout out to Jonathan Claussen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can give them a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture, and all of those shows will pop up for you for your listening pleasure. And we would love to hear from you. Give your ratings and reviews for the show and give us some feedback. We so appreciate that you listen to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. Name.